If you talk to any experienced sports broadcaster, they will tell you that writing has played a role in their success. Why learning how to communicate effectively with words has never been more important in the media, coming up on this edition of Sports Booth. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this edition of Sports Booth, Episode 8, Writing in Sports Broadcasting, and I'm your host, Matt McConnell. As always, Kevin McLeod is providing us with our lead-in and lead-out music. Now, coming up, we're going to chat with Fox Sports Arizona's Todd Walsh, who, in my mind, is a master wordsmith when it comes to sports broadcasting. In Arizona and throughout the region, Todd is hands-down the finest at his craft. He's also one of the best-kept secrets in the country when it comes to his ability to storytell through his choice of words. All right, I'm going to come clean, and I have to admit, this episode, it's likely going to be the toughest for me to create since I consider myself an average writer at best. But Todd, well, he'll fill in the gaps for all of us, thankfully. In my world, I'm often amazed at sports writers who can put together a story recap on deadline and have little time to do it all while putting together a feature or two for a later date. How do they do it all at once? Or the broadcast journalists in charge of writing their scripts in an ever-changing situation, whether it be news or sports, adjusting on the fly, and having the creativity, demeanor, and vocabulary to make it all a facile process. Two broadcast writers I've admired through the years have been Jack Whitaker and Tom Rinaldi. Now, Jack was the longtime CBS sports essayist who would put his thoughts into words describing events such as the Masters Golf Tournament, the Kentucky Derby, the NFL playoffs on CBS, even the Super Bowl. His cadence and delivery matched his ability to thoughtfully paint pictures that would come alive in the minds of fans everywhere. He helped create a long-lasting vision for the viewer without the need for television. You know, in a way, ESPN's Tom Rinaldi is a modern-day Jack Whitaker, a writer in the same medium who can introduce important and timely story subjects to his audience one minute, while having the same audience become an emotional wreck the next. And it just wasn't their prose that worked so well together. That was just part of it. You see, each man made you think. It was the creation of lasting impressions. Truly appointment television, the part of the show you rarely forgot and the part you'd never miss. Yep, powerful segments, and all because of their choice of words. Effective writing takes broadcast sports to another level, a cerebral compliment to the pictures on the screen or the descriptions on the radio, but always with everlasting impact from the writer. If you work on the team side of things in sports broadcasting, Chances are you're going to be required to prepare speeches for important events along the way, and your ability to write will be more important than ever. I can tell you that every step of the way in my career, I've had to write speeches for different events, from press conferences to Zoom chats to dedications. You will be asked along the way to perform each and every one of these duties. Also on the team side, chances are you'll be expected to contribute stories for the team's website. Maybe even write commercials for sponsors. On the television and radio side, writing your scripts is not uncommon at all. 
And what about formatting shows? Yep, that's you too. With input from colleagues, of course, but ultimately, it's going to be up to you. I refer to our guest today as one of the best-kept secrets in all of sports broadcasting. Todd Walsh is not only a sideline reporter for the Arizona Coyotes and Diamondbacks, he's also the pregame show host for both teams. But he's much more than just a reporter and host. He's also an SS, someone that has that rare ability to capture moments, then relaying what's inside of his head and his heart to a captivated audience hanging on his every word. In 2008, he emceed the Miracle on Ice reunion in Lake Placid, recalling that historical run of Team USA when they created the greatest upset in all of sports, defeating the Russians and winning the gold medal in 1980. In 2019, he was called upon to host the Shane Doan Retirement Ceremony before an Arizona Coyotes home game. Now, Doan is as beloved as any athlete in the state's history. It was one of the biggest moments in franchise history as they honored their legend. And when it came to finding the right person to host the event, Todd Walsh was the only choice. For he had a front row seat to Shane's career, and nobody else could have recalled that journey better than Todd at a center ice podium. Todd has also worked in music radio. He's been a play-by-play guy, a student manager for Lute Olson at the University of Arizona, multiple recipient of regional sports Emmys, and he's also a member of the prestigious Silver Circle, reserved for only the finest journalists in the Southwest that have more than 25 years of experience. So why is an ability to write so well so important in sports Todd, broadcasting? I read a story and well, let's uh, the find out from Todd. talking about the fact that there's no such thing as creative writing. All writing is creative. You are <laughs> certainly creative. Where did you get your start? Why did you start? Why did writing become so important to you? I have actually thought about this since you approached me the other day. I've, been, I've had a lot of time to think. So uh, I, I, I kind of believe that that just the concept of writing comes from um, how much I always enjoyed to read. I, I was, cause I was preparing, trying to prepare an answer to a question you might ask about writing. And I, and I just kind of lingered in my head for a couple of days and, and it put me right back into second, third, fourth grade where I just seemed to dive into reading books, but then it morphed into something else. And that was, my love for sports. And you and I are, I, I think, cut from the same cloth in the same era, probably had a lot of shared experiences. And I'm going to guess you'll relate to this, but I began to long for Friday afternoons, not because, not just because <laughs> school was out and the weekend was starting, but because Sports Illustrated was arriving in the mailbox. Ah, yes, of course. And, and, and that meant I could do longer form reading into stories and then Saturday or somewhere around there the sporting news would show up and I got all the digest football basketball hockey baseball digest and what I realized in thinking about this is that I was constantly reading like national columnists and the sporting news the Joe Falls and the Nick uh, Dick Youngs of the world and then the the beat writers that got national play and the Frank DeFords of Sports Illustrated and even the, you know, the where are they now columns and in in those digests. And then I started to dive into newspapers. We had, we had two papers in my hometown of Rochester, New York, a morning and an afternoon, the Democrat and Chronicle and the Times Union. And 
uh, Greg Beck, who went on to the USA Today, works at ASU now, is and Cronkite was the, the the lead beat guy and then columnist Bob Matthews at the Times Union. He just retired, I think, two weeks ago. That's right. And all, yeah. all, all that stuff was appointment reading for me. So, and, and I knew who moved me and I, I would look for that. I, I still, to this day, like Greg Hansen of the Arizona Daily Star is my favorite writer, bar none. Greg Hansen makes me think and he makes me feel. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and it's because, I mean, obviously there's a connection to Tucson, my alma mater, the University of Arizona. I'm still, unlike you with Michigan State, I'm deeply invested in it. It's, like, it's the last thing for me. So Greg makes me think, he makes me feel, he moves me sometimes to tears. Sometimes I get complete goosebumps and other times I get angry at what I'm reading. And it's because of the way he's constructed a story. And I, so that's, I, I, to, to me, that's kind of where it came from for me. I've always been trying to find, you know, the answer to something or the inside story on something. And it started with reading that stuff. I think to me, that's the foundation of it all for me. Hopefully maybe you can relate. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if anyone can relate totally to that in 2020, but in 1978, that's what it was for me. <laughs> well, and it's funny you mentioned Sports Illustrated and the baseball, football, basketball, hockey digest. I was, I was kind of the same way with the hockey news. It would mm-hmm. show up. Yeah. You know, I'd read it cover to cover. Earlier on the podcast, before you jumped on, we were talking about two great sports essayists in Jack Whitaker and Tom Rinaldi. And, you know, Jack's old school. Uh, he was terrific uh, with his opinions mm-hmm. on CBS Sports. And I'll tell you what, every time I watch something that Tom Rinaldi puts together, mm-hmm. uh, it not only makes me cry, but it makes me think. And Tom Rinaldi does a lot of essays for game day on ESPN yeah. on Saturday mornings. Those are two that just pop right into the forefront of my mind, along with you, of course, because I've seen you work up close and you know and that's my next question the writing aspect of it and and we'll get into about formatting your show pre and post Mm -hmm. and whatnot but but how has the writing your your ability to write and write effectively Mm -hmm. how has that helped you on the air when you're reporting it all goes to a simple premise for me which is have a beginning a middle and an end and that's how i try to tell a story or or convey a thought or whatever it is that I've just observed, but make sure like, and it's odd because you've been around me now for a long time. <laughs> I, I, I've been saying this a lot lately. I, I've been socially distancing my entire life. I am ridiculously shy so much so that I think people misinterpret it, but I still have this longing to express myself and writing those longer form pieces. That I started back in radio in 1986 it allowed me to express myself in a, in a way that I felt comfortable in my own skin. So I'm allowed to do that now. And, and because I've been at Fox Sports Arizona for so long, they've given me that freedom to do the longer form pieces or essays. And then in conjunction with the unbelievable skills of editors and producers that roll up their sleeves and say, I'm going to tackle this thing. And they take it to the next level by putting the, as you know, the, the pictures and the music and the video Yep. To, to those things that, I mean, it takes it to another realm that I can't even wrap my head around, but it allows me to speak, if that makes sense. So even in, like I was thinking about this the other day, like even in a social setting, I'm, I, I feel incredibly awkward sometimes 
And I'm constantly aware of if I'm talking outside of a podcast <laughs> of that, that I might be, I don't want to drone on too long. I want to have a beginning, a middle, and an end to a thought. And it, it, it's all a part of this. I think everything's sort of like the primordial ooze of who you are and how you present yourself. And I'm allowed to do things that I probably couldn't do in that form. I can speak in a, in a four-minute essay about Shane Doan's career coming to an end, or I can put a, a tribute together for Joe Gargiola in a way that I, I can sort of protect myself but also present it and say, here's what, here's what it is. And it's, it allows me to step outside of myself. And that, that's the value. That's why I love it so much. And then I, I feel like it's not about me standing there holding a microphone. It's about a group of all of us coming together and telling that story. And that's what our jobs, you know, that's what I think our jobs are. Like you get to tell a story instantaneously, extemporaneously, and you do it all night. And it's unbelievable to see and hear. And you're coming up with the story of the moment right then. I have the liberty of pulling back and going, okay, so what did I really see? You know what I mean? There's, a, there's just like so many ways to skin the cat on this thing. And, and, and that's, that's to me the joy of all of the we get to do. You and I, we don't get to play hockey for a living. I, we'd probably give our left arm both of us to do it we can't we didn't just to take a warm-up one night i i, I yeah it's right exactly stove face right so <laughs> uh, fur, furnace face i guess you told me yeah. so um i don't know if i answered your question but that's that, that's kind of how i see what i'm allowed to do and i think it's a privilege and, and, that, and that's why i pay i do pay attention to every word that goes on i pay critical attention to it and I, we try not to waste any of them and and we all sort of pull the same rope and then you get to see what we wrote and, and put together. Well, Todd, you mentioned Joe Garagiola and the tribute mm -hmm. uh, and, and you hosting that event. You also referenced uh, the Shane Doan retirement night uh, at Gila River Arena in Glendale, Arizona, which was unbelievable. I'm not going to mention or list every single one you've done because we try to get these podcasts done in about 30, 35 minutes <laughs> and we'd be here for hours. But you also hosted a USA Hockey Miracle on Ice reunion in Lake Placid, you know, honoring the team from, from 1980 that shocked the world, the greatest sports upset uh, ever. Uh, how did you begin to form words and to formulate all the, let, let, let's go to that night in Lake Placid. So, so how did okay. you begin to form words and just kind of capture your thoughts in your mind to present on that night? Because if I was on that stage, I'd be freaking out because you get one shot, you're up there with a bunch of legends, the greatest upset ever, and you, you killed it. I mean, it was unbelievable. And we will post a link uh, at Sports Booth so that fans can not only see the Miracle on Ice, but they can also see the Shane Doan tribute. Wow. Well, thank you. You just gave me chills by saying that. And it's an out-of-body experience. And I don't even know. I mean, and I guess what I, my message to anyone that's listening to this, and the reason I, would, I wanted to do this with you is to say this, that anything is possible. So I, for me, as a 16-year-old kid in Rochester, New York, in the suburbs in Webster, New York, I grew up in the shadows of Lake Placid in 1980. The Miracle on Ice became my obsession, my all-time favorite sports moment. I just projected myself as my career started towards the Miracle on Ice. <laughs> in yep. 1986, I started in radio and on the anniversary of the, of the victory over the, the, the Soviet Union, I called Mike Ruzioni and I had him on my first talk show. 
And I decided that for every year, whatever I was doing on that day, I would do something similar. And I did. So I guess my, my message is I just kept telling the story of it and looking for a different angle and a different story in every single corner and nook and cranny that I could find. And then all of a sudden, 35 years later or whatever it was, I'm standing there in the Herb Brooks Arena on the stage with the 1980 team memorializing their moment. How does that happen? I don't know, <laughs> but I, I know that I, I kept putting, my, my speech is always the same thing to students. Proximity matters. Yes. Put yourself in positions to do the things that you want to do and be around the people that you want to be around. And I just kept doing that. And I didn't like, I, I feel like I didn't overdo it, but over time, those guys got comfortable with me. I met the right people that were in, in places that were organizing and I had some thoughts about it. But ultimately, Matt, the night before I'm sitting in my lodge in Lake Placid looking out the window and it's snowing and I'm like, what in the world am I doing here? How, how can I, I can't, like, I was an out-of-body experience. But as I began to write the program, I mean, it took months to kind of put it together. I was just basically writing about something that I had intimate knowledge of. I was doing what I love to do, right? Yeah, so, you knew the subject and, and you yes. loved it, yeah. Right, same thing with Shane Doan. Like, that open letter to him, I mean, I've been around him in his entire career. I probably interviewed him more than anybody ever did combined. Mm -hmm. And I felt like we as a network and especially our crew, you know, the people that were around him every day, you and Tyson and, and all of us, it was an opportunity. I, I wrote that for all of us. Yeah. I wanted him to know how we felt. And I, I do want to share this with you in a second. This, I wouldn't do this if this wasn't what your podcast is about. Go for it. But, but when um, we wrote that letter for Shane Doan, we, we, we aired it because we didn't know what would happen with his career because it was open-ended. And eight months or so later, his career comes to an end. And if you're a student of the Coyotes, you know that it wasn't a good situation on any, any front. And, and obviously, we've moved past that now. But the night that his career, when the Coyotes said, we, we, we're no longer interested in your services. I texted him around noon that day, but at about 1130 that night, and, I, and he, I know he wouldn't be upset if I told this story. He texted me and said, hey, do you have that thing that you wrote? Is it somewhere? Can you send it to me? And I just said, yes. And I sent it to him. <laughs> and I realized what was going on. I yeah. talked to him later. He was alone with his thoughts. His career was over and he, and he was lost for a moment or two. And it hurt. Yeah. And he, wanted, he wanted to see that. It wasn't about my writing. He wanted to see sort of his career, I think, flashing in front of his eyes. My message to students and kids that are trying to get into this, I wrote that and did that for an audience of one. I wanted Shane to know. Yeah. And hopefully everybody else would enjoy it. And that's, to me, the biggest victory. Like the Miracle on Ice thing. I did that for those guys on the stage as a celebration for all of us that were in the building because we coveted that moment. And I wanted to honor them in a certain way. And that's kind of how I go about those things and I, I'm lucky enough to have a platform to do that we've been fortunate I think as a group to have moments like that where we can say to Shane this is what we think about you and that's pretty cool I mean not everyone gets to do that in this business as you know mm -hmm. and I, I just think that's a it's a blessing and and I, I always consider how lucky we are to be able to do that yeah, and for those of you that don't know the history or the background of Shane Doan, he was the longtime captain of the Arizona Coyotes. And 
I mean, he could probably run for governor in the state and make it a race. He is that beloved. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, you've got Larry Fitzgerald, you've got uh, uh, Gonzo here with the Arizona Diamondbacks. There's only a few, and Shane Doan was certainly there. What was that, uh, Todd? Was the Doan, or maybe even going back to the America on Ice reunion, were one of those your toughest riding assignments? Or was it something else? And you know, how do you how do you get through a night like that emotionally? I fear of failure. <laughs> yep. I just you know I didn't want to melt down. I didn't want to, you know I. Do you think do fear of failure is healthy? Absolutely. For why, if I don't have it when I sit down to do a show, I make a mistake. I have some edge, and I'm sure you have it when, especially when a when you're doing a game open. I'm I'm guessing that's probably when. It's just so not normal to do. You're, you're a play-by-play -play guy, and that is your element. I feel I have tension, and I have anxiety, performance anxiety, and sometimes it gets the best of me. And I, but usually, I, I feel comfortable knowing that I'm going to get out of it. But I, re I remember right before we went out on the ice for the Shane Doan ceremony. I was standing over in the, it was sort of a green room with all the guys that were going to be on the ice. And I was looking at my script and I was reading it out loud. And Chris King, who I love, the former Coyote, was 10 feet away and he busted me and he looked at me and he said, look at him. He's nervous. I'm so <laughs> glad he said that. I knew everybody in there was nervous, but I was yeah. more nervous than all of them. But he, he cut the, he, he cut right to the chase. I, 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 yeah, no, I, that's a really good question. I feel like the minute you get a little complacent and you think you're okay, you're not. And I like having that edge. It's addicting. It does take a lot out of you. There's nothing that I think is easy in this business and, and you're always trying to improve. But man, there was, <laughs> my socks were wet at, uh, in Lake Placid, I can tell you that. Well, you're lucky they didn't freeze being down by yeah. the guy. I know, I know. Uh, writing for broadcast, and, and this mm -hmm. is something that I, I'm sure a lot of people go back and forth on. Is it better to use basic words or fancy prose for sports uh, audiences? What do you What do you think about that? Somewhere in the middle, I think. I I don't yeah. try to. I don't want to get out of my skis. I don't want to go down a blue diamond or a black diamond when I should probably be in a blue. Uh, yeah, but you're a good skier. You can go down those black. Diamonds. No, it's an illusion. Uh, I I just think you always have to remember your audience, and I think um, you can get caught up quickly if you try to uh to overdo it a little bit I, I just try to stay to who i am really and if i write something that i wouldn't normally say then i'm not going to go there like every now and then i'll get a little hoity and i'll feel okay that for that turn i took it's okay but let me get back in the let me get back on the lead lap that's kind of my sense to that i i don't if someone is unbelievably articulate and I know they're really just a smart person and they're gonna speak that way to me and I get who they are I'm okay with it I, I'll accept that I, I actually saw that on a, on a zoom call last night somewhere I'm like wow this guy's he's in a different lane than I am but I I went along for the ride and I enjoyed it I don't know if I could I don't I hope I don't do that when I write I I try to be cognizant of that I know you love both mediums, both radio and television. I, you know, for the Coyote shows, you do a lot on the radio side with the, the radio voice of the Coyotes, Bob Heathouse, one of the greatest men ever to walk this earth. He's yes. one of the nicest human beings ever, if not the nicest. Yeah. Um, which is easier for you, uh, doing 
you know, doing uh, writing for radio or doing it for television? And, and do you have a preference? I, it's interesting. I, the, the podcast world has kind of reinvigorated me mm -hmm. and I'm doing more long form. I just posted one for our purposes today on, uh, on um, the 2001 World Series and the three games in New York and the Coyotes trip concurrent with the Diamondbacks week there to ground zero. And that's long for, you know, it's 59, came in at 59 minutes. And I, I was like, wow, I, I like the long form television. I can't do that as much, but when I do, I get to do the Joe Garagiola's things and the, you know, the open letter to Shane Doan. I don't think you can do that every night. That's kind of, yeah. I, I feel like when we trot them out, they're, they're, they're special, I hope. Um, but radio will always be my first love. I, I had to learn, Matt, I'm sure you understand because you've been in both worlds. I had to learn in television that I can't be the chief cook and bottle washer. And that was a hard thing for me to learn early on. And I had to, I took some lumps along the way. And uh, now I, I just trust in the producers and editors that are, that are so good at what they do. And I kind of feel like I, you know, they've actually said, I want to tackle your essay. So I know that they get the effort that went into it and they want to, they want to do their thing to it. And it's really cool to see that. And, you know, radio is fun because I can be a lone wolf and then in the podcast world, I can do my, you know, and go crazy on it. It's hard to incorporate other people anyways in that, in that medium, as you know. Right. So it's kind of in the middle, but, um, uh, radio will always be my first love for sure. I'll tell you what, I, every once in a while, I like doing something besides hockey, whether it's a college basketball game, uh, women's college softball, you name it, because then I think that makes me better at my main craft hockey. And it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with the way you call a hockey game, but when you step out and you do one-offs, the preparation's a little bit different. It, it's, it, it kind of reinvigorates you. Do you find maybe that radio helps you on TV and vice versa? Oh, without a doubt. And I, and I, by the way, I, I watch you on some of those one-off games that you do and you do have, I feel it. I feel your life in it. I feel your joy in it. And it's, it's, and it's very palpable. And I do believe that radio has always given me a, a deep background in television, especially the, the pregame setting and the postgame setting. When I'm, I mean, I don't have a cue card. I don't have a teleprompter and radio was the great, foundation for me and the, uh i mean you as you know <laughs> yes you know dead, dead air will kill you right and um so i was able to have blank canvases that i could draw all over and i and it gave me a foundation for television where i was okay if something went wrong and i had to fill and and i i can't imagine not having that background on tv and now tv has helped me zero in and laser in on things and maybe get to point, not that I'm doing it now, but get to points quicker in the, in the radio slash podcast world too. But I love the blend now. And I, I didn't think, I knew that I would like podcasts. I just was kind of waiting for someone to kick me into it. And now I'm into it. I like them. As you know, they're like a, it's like a cooking a Thanksgiving dinner, but um, I, I do enjoy the, the doing it from form. the grill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Todd's Garage Grill. I was going to ask you one other question, and, and now I'm going to kind of call an audible or a 20 here. Okay. It's funny you mentioned podcasts, and, you know, there's podcasts. There are now opportunities to, you know, start your own radio station out of your house. There's television. Mm -hmm. There's radio. There's newspaper, print, uh, you name it, web websites. 
where do you think this is all heading? Will we, will we watch, will we have satellite TV? Will we have over-the-air television in 15, 20 years? Will it be all a la carte? Where are we headed? Are, are we going to watch everything on our laptops, on our phones? Where do you see this all ending up, Todd? Yeah, well, I, I believe the a la carte thing is, is where it's going. Um, I remember, I'm, I'm sitting here literally in, in Todd's garage, and I'm looking at a, an old plastic milk crate. You remember those where you could carry milk? And we used to put our albums in those milk crates when we moved from dorm to dorm. Yes. Well, in, in the milk crate to my right is about 500 cassette tapes from my radio career from 86 to 90-something. And in the mid-90s, I remember a staff meeting we had at KDKV Radio when I was doing afternoon drive there. The program director walked in. Tim Moranville's name. And in the, in, the, in the conference room on the table was a toaster. And he came in and said, this is what radio means to people. Radio is as important as their toaster. <laughs> and I was furious. I mean, they'd done research that, you know, and he had everything to back it up. And right. the point was that uh, terrestrial radio is changing. You know, the internet's coming. And none of us listened to him. But he was right. And we're still moving in the direction that he talked about. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm sitting here at home and I still don't watch TV. It's bizarre. I don't, you know, I, but I think it's going to be appointment uh, listen, viewing and listening. And I, I'm just holding on to one thing. I'm Jude Lakava, who I worked with forever. We just retired at Fox 10. We did a radio show together. He used to call radio the last neighborhood. And that's kind of how we approached our four-hour talk show or sports talk show, the 620 Sports Line. And I, I'm reinvigorated now because I feel like podcasting can be another neighborhood that didn't exist then. And I'm pleased to see the, the, the growth of it. I love what you're doing, like a target-specific podcast. I, I just think that's kind of where we're heading. I, I, you know, the, the attention span of people now that are coming into the – into the fold in terms of our, what we hope is our viewing audience. I wonder what it is. I, I just don't know. I, but I think teams are going to control their, their vision and their, their product. And maybe they'll have their own platform for, it. I, I don't know who knows what we'll be doing. I hope I'm still doing it with you though. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting. I think over the next five to 10 years, how everything is produced and how everything is distributed, whether it is a la carte or whether we still have all of the, different options in front of us that we can, you know, that we can use to watch sports news or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, Todd, final question for you, just a, a question. If you were to give advice to any of the kids that are listening, your, your audience on this is mainly college, young professionals, mm -hmm. even some high school kids that are thinking about getting into broadcasting from a writing angle. What would you tell them if you had 30 seconds to give them the stump speech? I did. It's the same one I always give, right? read and write and then when you read and then when you write say what you wrote out loud rehearse it invest in it know it so when you're on camera or you're on the microphone that i'm watching or listening i know that you know what you've just written that's coming from your soul i tell everybody that asks me that same question that i can go on tv and i can see an announcer and i know within seconds whether they've wrote, they, that they've written what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I can tell in a second. And if they're totally invested in it or they're just reading a script 
or a card or something that somebody told them in their head. I just want it to come from you. And to do that, you've got to write it. I, I tell people, you're, we're driving all over the place. I, when I drive to Gila River Arena or Chase Field, if you go by me on the 51 or the 101, you're going to think I'm insane because I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking on the phone. I'm not talking on the phone. I'm going over the open of a pregame show. I might be going over the first question of a skate-up interview. I'm, I'm, I am feeling my way through it. So I'm totally invested in it. And when it happens on camera, there it is. That's my stump speech. The, the good thing these days with talking to yourself in the car, and I do it too, Todd, <laughs> is that now that there's hands-free, yes. you don't look all that strange to the guy in the lane yes. next year, right? I have had moments where I'm at a light and I'm, and I'm talking and someone will look at me and then I'll look up at the, uh, at the dome light like it's a microphone and I'll pretend I'm talking to the dome light so I pull off what you're just talking about. But it, it has happened on more than one occasion, trust me. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Todd, thanks for doing this. You are one of the best in the business. And as far as I'm concerned, you're the best in the business that I've ever worked for or with. Wow. Um, you know, just, just a tremendous talent. Thanks for doing this. And thanks for hopefully helping out the kids down the road. Matt, you know, the feeling is very mutual. You have a gift and I, I just, I admire it every single night. I'm going to leave you with this though. All right. While we were talking, I'm sitting in Todd's garage and I'm this is a cassette tape. You can look it up someday if you guys want to figure out what it is. <laughs> the, the cassette tape that I'm holding in my hand, I'm going to send you a picture of it. All right. It says, says this, loot wooden. So somewhere wow. along the way in 1986 or seven, I interviewed Lute Olson and John Wooden. How's that? That's, that's wow. for you. There wow. you go. Wow, that's Great. unbelievable. Thanks for and, talking, man. And by the way, you can follow Todd on Twitter at... Todd Walsh, Todd with two T's. Todd, thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Well, without a doubt, Todd Walsh is the best writer, essayist, and wordsmith I've ever worked with in the industry. Whether it's watching him steer the ship on a Coyotes pregame show or catching a glance at his storyboards for upcoming shows or witnessing him throwing together a half-hour pregame show on a charter flight at 1 a.m., yeah, his writing talents and abilities to create pictures through words is as good as anybody's in the industry. As always, if you have a question, please email the show at pxpquestions at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at SportsBoothPod1. Up next, Episode 9, The Sales Angle. Trust me, it's as important to you landing a job as anything else. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll talk again on the next episode of SportsBooth.